Did you happen to read the tip of the week? Did your eyes skim it? Okay. Nope. I actually, I literally held my hand in front of the monitor (laughs) and scrolled way down and then slowly skimmed up until I saw the beginning. (laughs) Sweet, because it's a good one. I'm so, I already read it to Charlotte. It was a good one. All right. (laughs) Okay. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 69. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about finances. Managing money can be a hot button, if not necessary, topic. But we believe it is good and necessary to speak about finances openly and often, especially within the context of our marriages and family life. What will it take to find financial peace these days? Is it even possible? Let's take a closer look. But first, if you enjoy this episode of the Modern Lady Podcast, please take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your review can help the Modern Lady stand out so that others may find us too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to Erica Ford, who commented on our Facebook page and said, quote, I absolutely love your podcast and I'm constantly recommending it to everyone I know. You discuss excellent topics that are always thought-provoking, well-researched, challenging, and uplifting, a very impressive accomplishment. As a stay-at-home, homeschooling mother of five, I'm always encouraged and motivated to be better while recognizing daily my need for God's infinite grace. I love that you speak the truth in love, never shying away from mentioning your faith, but never browbeating anyone with it either. Thank you so much for this blessing." End quote. Well, thank you so much, Erica, for taking the time to leave us this comment and for recommending the podcast to your friends and family. It truly does mean a lot to us. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Well, Michelle, I love history and you love history, and we have often said that perhaps it's time to revisit some of the ways that people lived life in the past, and that maybe it's time to bring back some of the old ways. With this in mind, I want you to consider these three, quote, animal cures that were used during the Black Death. Here and now, we're still in the midst of the COVID-19 outbreak, so maybe it's time we consider the Vickery method. English doctor, Thomas Vickery, proposed that a live, healthy chicken would have its back end and rear plucked clean, and then this bare part of the chicken would be applied to the swollen nodes of the sick person. Because the chicken was still alive, it would have to be strapped in place, obviously. And if the chicken started to show signs of being sick, it was a sure sign that it was working as it was drawing the illness from the person. At that point, you would remove the chicken, give it a little wash and strap it right back on until either the chicken or the person was dead. Now, I'm scared of birds, so that wouldn't work for me. I am, however, less scared of snakes. So another option is to cut up pieces of a snake and rub it all over the swollen parts of the body. As we know, the snake is representative of evil, so clearly these snake pieces would draw the evil out of the person. I mean, it's science. Pigeons were also used in this way, but nobody really knows why pigeons were used. Lastly, 
this is the most powerful cure for illness, <laughs> and it could only come from one animal. The unicorn. A drink could be made from the ground-up horn mixed with water. But not only was this terribly expensive, it was obviously very hard to procure. We all know how hard it is to catch a unicorn. In fact, only a young virgin maiden can lull a unicorn into submission. I guess that explains the excessive cost for this cure. <laughs> I just... Oh my goodness. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> Rare like a unicorn. <laughs> huh. So I'm not sure. You know what? The unicorn is crazy, but the idea of strapping a bare chicken bottom <laughs> that's live to my sick body, it to me seems crazier than the unicorn. And I was just going to say, um, there are some in my family who are a little bit wary of unicorns in general. <laughs> so we might be going the chicken butt route as well. <laughs> And I just love that you just continue to use the chicken. So you just give it a little wash and strap it right back on until it's dead. Oh my there is no question that the issue of money is a big part of our culture and family life. Now, everyone's financial situation will look a little bit different, of course, but there are some principles and tips that we'd love to share as fellow homemakers in these trenches that may help encourage us all on the road to financial peace. Right, Lindsay? Yeah, so I received a private message from a young woman about to embark on a very exciting season of life, you know, marriage and the purchase of her first home. Mm, wow. mm -hmm. And <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> and she admires um, many of the one income households that she sees around her. And she's tried to read a lot of blogs or like financial articles on this sort of thing. But she said, you know what, it's sometimes best to hear it from people who are actually living it in the moment. And so she asked if I would mind sharing how we manage to live up one income. And mm -hmm. you do the same thing as well. So we thought, perfect, we'll do an episode on this. Yeah, I loved this topic because it is hard to explain in words. It really is one of those conversational topics, mm -hmm. right? When you can get people's emotions, because there's often so many stories and so many um, tries, attempts, failures, successes, things that really um, paint a whole picture. Like you, it's hard to give financial advice for a personal life over an impersonal medium. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or there's doing that. You can read like a 10 point checklist, right. On how to succeed as a mm -hmm. one income family. And you're right without having the backstory. And there's a lot of backstory for my life, um, that we'll share, um, <laughs> and it, without having that, you can just look at where Jason are at, and I are at now and go, well, aren't they lucky? And, mm -hmm. and so I think this conversation is really important. And being raised in the early to mid 1980s, I had a view of a country that was prospering and the middle class was booming. Canada and the US were all about accruing wealth and status, new money, flashy clothes, cars, vacations, all these new credit cards. These were a brand new thing. Although I was raised by two hardworking parents, both with full-time jobs and a modest home in a nice neighborhood, I saw luxury everywhere. When I turned on the TV and movies and then going into the new and bright shiny malls, this for sure had an impact on how I viewed money from my earliest years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm like you, like I grew up um, maybe a little bit later in that era, but I remember the same thing. Like I remember always thinking that there was plenty. Like it was not, it was not a concern for me, um, partly probably because I was a child. Yeah. Yeah. And besides 
this um, concept of like everyone just had um, mm-hmm. what they needed, right? And it was fine. Um, I actually truly always thought that like debt was also just something everyone had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just the norm. It was just something. It was part of life. Um, personally, though, I think I've never really liked the feeling of owing anyone mm-hmm. anything, though. Um, my parents, they were really generous with us growing up and when we became young adults and stuff uh, in particular because we never really had an allowance system so money wasn't even really a consideration for me until I was late high school early mm-hmm. college um, and my parents would help us out financially by putting like money up front for us and then we were allowed to pay them back instead of a bank that was huge and like I'm so grateful because um, it really did allow me to experience things that I wouldn't have been able to afford upfront otherwise. But I do remember always the sense of I have to pay them back as fast as I possibly could, because I love to see that balance going down. Um, Also, I always had this nervousness about seeing anything outstanding. Um, Did you, as a side note, what was your first job? When did you get your first job? My first job was lifeguarding when I was in Mm -hmm. grade 12, Mm because you have to be 16. Okay. So that was, yeah, that was my first job. So yeah, when I was younger, I didn't really think much of that, except um, it, of that feeling of disliking debt, except to use it to motivate me to always pay it off as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, also important to note, like I was able to choose to stay at home during school. Mm-hmm. So it was only tuition and books. And um, my car was a very inexpensive used one that I was paying down. And it wasn't probably until our wedding that I was really starting to see finances in a in a wider context, like even in our society, just with all the different options that you have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to add on to the wedding, like you're, yeah. you can rack up a bill really quickly. That was probably the first time that I knew I was spending more than I could think in advance how I would pay it back. And was that Um, a conversation you were having with your parents or with Phil or all together? How were you having that conversation about spending that amount of money for the first time? Mm -hmm. Well, it was something, again, like um, through no fault of anybody, I just saw in society, I really just felt like, well, that's what you do, though. Right. Like there, if it's you want to have a wedding, that's yeah. what you do. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and so I didn't really think too much of it. I remember thinking, hmm, I'm not sure about it. Uh, and I, I did my best at that time. I was also 23. Mm-hmm. I was just short, just shy, a couple months shy of 23. Mm-hmm. Right. So I didn't know very much about finances at all anyways. Yeah. But I think I did figure that I'd done it before and I would be fine to do it again. I'll just work really hard and pay it I'm not back. getting married <laughs> I'm just kidding it's out you're talking about yes spending the money right spending I've gotcha. the money right <laughs> <laughs> on the wedding and then it was the same for the house right yeah. and it yeah. was the same for this and that and before you know it we carry debt like most other people um and it didn't necessarily bother me in principle because again this was just how I saw it done in our culture but conscientiously it did bother me and over the years I've tried so many different kinds of budgets and plans and systems to try to pay things down and work things off my favorite show when we got married was actually Gail Vaz Oxlade's mm-hmm. uh, Till Debt Do Us Part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember finding it on the internet and just binge watching episode after episode after episode. Often I would get 
uh, frustrated or bored or discouraged though and then we quit for a time rack up some more debt and then continue the cycle with a new plan Mm -hmm. but I can look back now and just see that it really was um, hugely cultural just like not not thinking that there was any other way besides just either carrying debt or working all the time right um, you mentioned that show, Till Debt Do Us Part, and, mm-hmm. you know, Jason and I had a screen test to be on that show. I'll just let our listeners oh, know that we were very close to being on the show, and the only reason they didn't oh, choose us is that we weren't fighting enough. Um, <laughs> despite the fact oh. that our marriage wasn't in a good place then, we actually weren't fighting enough, and they needed us to fight more. And uh, But we certainly had enough debt to be on that show, so we'll talk a little bit about our debt. But they came to our house, and they filmed, and I am so if there was ever a time where I'm, I really hope God had stepped in. It's, it was this because I didn't realize how many years those shows would be repeating, and oh, that people would have true. seen us over and over and over again. So, anyways, just for any of you listening, really oh consider before applying for a TV show. <laughs> Wouldn't so, that have been crazy though yeah. if I had watched your episode right before so many we... years before we met, <laughs> oh and now gosh. we're doing this episode. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Oh my gosh. Okay. okay. So, um, like we were saying, you know, I had always had these grand ideas about luxury and what I had seen. And my, I always knew when my parents, you know, had to work very hard for our money. I knew when money was tight, there was a recession that hit when I was a child. I remember that clearly impacting our family and all these things, but like you, my, our needs were always taken care of and life was good. Um, so I just assumed life would just continue on that way for me, but then reality hit. And, you know, I, I've talked openly about this, but Jason and I had a very, rocky beginning in every aspect of our marriage. And this was all made way more stressful by the horrible state of our finances for the whole first decade of our relationship. Um, Mm. So I'm happy to share about this. I do have my husband's blessing to share this. So I want people to know that. Um, And we've had a lot of experiences and we've learned a lot of lessons. So just I'm going to try to keep this brief, but um, Jason and I were both out of our homes at relatively young ages. Um, We were both 19, although he was 19 in the fall of 1996. And I turned 19 um, the weekend I moved out in 1999. And we both started out with school debt, minimum wage uh, jobs and rent to pay, right? So I think this is important too. We also lived in many different locations during our early years. Um, I only moved four times from the time I was 19 until when we got married when I was 23. Mm-hmm. But Jason moved at least 12 times. We tried to count uh, count them this morning, but we know we missed places. So all in all together, we had moved probably, um, probably close to 20 times during our four years of dating. And wow. yeah, and I think that this nomadic life seemed really normal to me then. That was kind of how a lot of our friends were living. And Mm -hmm. all of us had like crappy apartments, a few pieces of hand-me-down furniture. um, And we would literally scrape together from cars and couches, every penny that we would need, every dollar to try to spend on food and alcohol. And we never really second guessed it. And you know what? It did make for some hilarious memories, but what we realize now is that's not the life we want for our kids. It created a sense of instability, especially financial instability. And it made us think that that was normal and unavoidable, like what you were saying. And Mm. so we didn't even think of ways to kind of dig ourselves out of that lifestyle in our early years. Mm -hmm. So we got married in 2004. We got our first apartment together. We were renting and it was gorgeous. It was like 
brand new. It was a brand new apartment building, 10th floor. Everything was so nice. Um, but we learned early on that we were paying a lot of money for that one apartment and that we could probably pay just a little bit more and get a, a mortgage. So then um, in 2005, we bought our first house, which we lovingly refer to as ghetto townhouse. Everybody knows what we're referring to when we talk about <laughs> ghetto townhouse. Um, it was in a really bad neighborhood, obviously, <laughs> from the nickname. Um, but Wait. Right. But um, Jason was commuting for two hours minimum one way to downtown Toronto every every day. And I was working in retail management. And so we've always had nonstop crazy working hours. We never had a, a Monday to Friday job then. And we just kept racking up debt. And so we had the debt we brought into our marriage and then buying that first house um, that we didn't even like crunch the numbers for. It was a lot easier to get a mortgage back then. So mm. we were able to pay our bills. He was working two jobs. I was working full time, but we weren't touching the principal on any of those loans, right? We were just making mm -hmm. the interest payments and this type of just playing catch up every paycheck continued through the births of our first two kids. And again, we weren't defaulting on payments where we weren't getting calls from creditors, but we were constantly living in overdraft land, I guess mm -hmm. you could say. <laughs> so yeah. our paychecks mm -hmm. would go in and it would only bump us up. $300. That's it. And then yeah. we would pay all of our bills and then we would go right back into overdraft. And it was that for years. And it was a horrible feeling, absolutely horrible, the weight on our backs. And so it's that we would take that to bed with us every night, right? Like this darkness that would just follow us around. And mm -hmm. at this point, Charlotte and Deacon were three in one. Our marriage was very frayed. And we had so much time in our lives where we wouldn't drink the milk so that our kids could have the milk. Like we were in a very um, bad financial place. So we sought financial help um, and pro professional help, and we were able to come up with a payment plan that was manageable for us. And so this was now 2009, and we finally began to tackle our debt. That felt like a huge weight lifted off our shoulders. It was a great first step in working together towards a common mm. goal. And, and this actually, the step really helped our marriage move forward as well. Right. We were, mm -hmm. we had plans for our future kind of for the first time. And yeah. then things took another turn in 2010 when Jason's mother passed away. Now, Jason was her only child and she had an insurance policy that happened to cover almost to the penny, exactly what we had left to pay on that new payment plan. And yeah. it was truly a miracle. It was a heartbreaking miracle. And we will never forget how that, how she was responsible for getting our kids into the life we have now. Oh my gosh. This is something that I, I think I see changing now, mm -hmm. but up until this point, you're right. Like the narrative has always been, um, this just is how it is. Yeah. And this is just how we all do it. And so now like, but like I was saying, the conversation has been changing so fast and so much over the years. Um, there is so much more that we can consider and do now with our finances. Mm -hmm. And so you guys, you did end up getting out of debt, right? You yeah. So we that? got out of debt. Okay. So we were totally out of debt by 2010. And um, we spent another year and a half, two years until it took us to um, buy the house we're in now, which is truly um, our dream home. We called it our forever home. And mm -hmm. when we were able to move and kind of start our new life, we vowed to never get in debt like that again. Right. Mm -hmm. That period really forced us to grow up 
in a short amount of time. And we then started to make very wise decisions as we planned out our future together. And in doing that, we had to start talking about our whys. I'll say like, why, why is, why are we not going to get in debt again? Why is it important that we make better plans for our future? And why, um, why is it important that we save? Like what matters to us? And so Mm -hmm. we came up with a couple of those whys. So when we had to make some decisions about our finances at that time, we also made the decision to change our family by me quitting my job. And that first why about me quitting our job happened after we heard our eldest um, praying when she was about four Mm -hmm. to have mommy and daddy home together. Uh, And then she said on the same day on the same couch. At this time, we had both been working. um, I was almost working full time, but I was squeezing in full time hours on his days off. And he Mm -hmm. would get um, a block off every month as well. And so we never had to have babysitters. We worked every day opposite each other. So we would go easily 31 days without having a day off together. And so that was one of our first things where we were like, okay, this isn't benefiting our kids. Um, This is one of the first whys about why we had to change how we were running our finances. Um, Our second one came from never forgetting what it felt like to crawl into bed every night with that Mm -hmm. sense of panic and dread. It was suffocating. And we made a decision to never go back there again. Come heck or high water. (laughs) We were never Mm going to go back there. And our third one was wanting to lead by example for our children and wanting to instruct them on how to make wise financial decisions. Um, We stopped looking at everyone else and figured out what mattered to us. That's this discussion of why. We had Mm -hmm. no desire anymore to try to keep up with Joneses, which is hilarious because that's my maiden name. (laughs) So when I say that, that's not a shout out at my brother, um, Josh and his wife, because they are the Joneses now. (laughs) No, we we decided to carve out our own path, right? We had to figure out Mm -hmm. what was important to Jason and I. And that also meant, we had to consider what wasn't important to us. So you have to decide what's important to you and what doesn't matter to you. And that's going to look crazy to some people who are looking in at you guys. Um, But some of those decisions about what we've decided to spend money on and not spend money on are, have led to us being a successful one income family. So the, some of the things that are important to Jason and I, um, it's a small, having a small, but nicely decorated home. We actually made that decision. That was an actual discussion we had had that we wanted a small house that we could decorate, um, how we wanted it. And we really, really value the occasional dinner out, but at a very expensive restaurant that means a lot to us. And we take that very seriously. Now there are things that don't matter to us that matter to a lot of other people. And so we don't spend money on extracurricular activities for our kids. If our kids come to us and beg us to do something, we would absolutely look into doing that. But in all honesty, that's never happened. Our kids haven't asked to like do any sports or anything. So we're like, okay, um, <laughs> vacations don't matter to us. We have never been vacation people. We have never been on a vacation. Um, our, our first vacation was a road trip with the kids out to Quebec um, two years ago. But Jason and I have never, I've never been on a plane. We aren't people who go down south. So that's just not important to us. Jason and I don't spend money on hobbies. 
He doesn't do sports. He never golfs. We don't spend money on that. I don't go to the spa. I don't go to even a hairdresser. I have a woman that comes to my house to do my hair. I don't get manicures or pedicures. I think I might buy two pairs of shoes in one year, like a new pair of boots for the winter and maybe one pair of summer (laughs) shoes from Old Navy for the summer. And I maybe buy two or three outfits a year. Um, I hate clothing shopping. I am Mm. just not like that. The other thing is we really love being home. So back to those first two things that we love spending money on, um, that's, you know, good food to cook, good quality alcohol and home decor. And I think that this stems kind of because from the idea that we couldn't actually leave our house for 13 years, we don't have babysitters. Mm. Our kids don't go for sleepovers anywhere. So aside from maybe one dinner out a year, we had to really reshape our ideas of leisure and fun within our marriage. And so that's where we started directing our money. And our home is our refuge. So that's a huge why for us um, about how we have saved money to live as a one income family. We've said no to all of those things I talked about, which makes our life actually quite affordable. Yeah. You know what? I grew up in a one income household for most of my life. Mm -hmm. um, And I learned that it is possible to make it on one income. Um, But like what you're saying, it does unfortunately also mean sacrifice and hard work you just you cannot do everything you can't go everywhere etc that you may want to um but like I was mentioning in the beginning I never wanted for anything uh actually the first time I went on an airplane you mentioned never being on an airplane and I've only been like maybe three times on an airplane um my first time was when I was 20 years old Mm -hmm. (laughs) um to go on a pilgrimage and that was amazing but I'm happy to report as someone who lived through a one income household that I did survive Um, (laughs) (laughs) and I really loved my childhood. Uh, So, you know, I can truly say that kids will be okay without the massively expensive things if those are just not in the cards for you right now Mm -hmm. Um, to not feel guilty about that. Um, And if you and your husband, you know, are discerning that it's more important right now that one of you is home full time then it's definitely okay to consider it. Like it will be okay. It will require the sacrifice and the hard work. And it actually may not be a possibility for everyone, but I would totally support an honest look at all of the options because I think sometimes it it is um, a knee-jerk reaction to not want to give up a lot of things. Uh, And even though we may not think we are trying to keep up with the Joneses, Mm -hmm. um, like your brother, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Again, not my brother and his wife, <laughs> just to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> I think that subconsciously we think that we have to though, yeah. right? Um, otherwise we'll be kind of odd, odd ducks. Yeah. Um, but also in terms of one income households, I was also advised by my mom from a young age to consider planning to always live on one income once mm. I was married. Even if I'm still working like up until we had children or something like that and use one set of income for either savings or investments or debt repayment on the house, but only one budget, uh, only one income to budget daily life. And that way, you know, if one of us wanted or needed to stay home, part of that decision is automatically lessened um, by the fact that our budget would remain largely the same. Uh, Or even in the event that you know, one of us has to be out of work for some reason, like health or an accident or, you know, God forbid anything happened like that, but that the household finances would be relatively similar. 
um, with just one person being able to work. And I've always loved that advice. I've never forgotten it. And I I found it really sound. So for someone just starting out, that could be a, a really interesting conversation to bring up. Like, how would we, if we just started out on one income altogether, even though we are still both working, what would that look like? Yeah. So one of the things we started doing when we had to shape how we feel about finances, so coming again from a background of having no idea what we were doing, getting this windfall that helped us pay off debt. And then at this time, Jason had transferred into a very good job as a police officer. So um, we were able financially, because that it still comes down to what your paychecks are, <laughs> ultimately, mm. um, we mm-hmm. were able to live very well off a police officer's salary. And we realized at one point that it just made more sense for me to quit my part-time job because he could make more in one overtime shift than I was making in a week. Um, mm. And so I had to give up my job, which I really was sad about at first because it was very social for me. Again, I was at Pier One. I was one of the managers. I just got to shop and talk with my girlfriends. <laughs> it was a great job. And um, I really was reluctant to do that. But we knew that for the why, for our family, for our future, it made more sense for me to be home with our two little kids at that time. And so when we then had to go forward, we didn't know what to do with finances and and we didn't know how we even felt about finances. So one of the first things we did was we started talking about it with people we admire. And I think mm-hmm. that one of the worst things that came from previous generations, and I'm not trying to throw them under the bus, but this this is true, is that they, there was a reluctance to discuss things that they seemed um, I bet they deemed as personal matters like religion and politics and money. And I suspect that when families were still mostly living together, right, or are close mm-hmm. together in proximity, and again, this is this like pre-industrial revolution agricultural society, these things I think were probably openly discussed because the family acted as a corporation. So the, fam- the family finances would have been discussed more openly. Mm. And I think Mm -hmm. that as that family unit broke apart and the emphasis again grew from like a we mindset back to the, into the me mindset of the nuclear family. And then into the me generation of the 1960s, these things that were very private, um, they became things that you just didn't talk about with your kids. And this is a problem because there was this generation or a few generations that I'm in the middle of that kind of, there was this wall of silence and we didn't have the internet yet. So we didn't know where to turn to for good advice. And I found that as our peer group started having kids and buying houses, um, we started talking more about finances when we'd all be hanging out. And we learned early on that in our generation, it's okay to ask these questions and to talk about it. People are for the most part, more than happy to share some of the tips and tricks that they have learned along the way. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of our friends were doing way better than us financially. And instead of grumbling about it or being jealous of how well they're doing, we're like, what are you doing? Tell us, like, Mm -hmm. help us give us some tips. And so his work too, as a police officer, it's full of really financially wise people. We have gotten great advice from some of his coworkers over the years. And this led us to the next stage where we're at. So again, we went from people with massive and almost insurmountable debt to being debt free again, not through of our doing, but sadly through the passing of his mother, I want to be very clear about that. But then we made the decision to then grow our wealth. And we have been able to do that through acquiring rental properties. Okay, yes. So I am actually curious about rental houses. Um, The only other type of reality TV show I love more than (laughs) financial reality TV is like (laughs) house flipping house rental TV. So 
you tell me about your house <laughs> rental adventures. Okay. Well, it's still new for us. We're only about two years in and I was terrified. Mm-hmm. So speaking about advice from Jason's coworkers, um, many of them own a rental property and he would come home and tell me about this. And I'm like, you're crazy. Like we were in <laughs> such debt before. I'm terrified of this. I don't ever want to mm-hmm. go back to debt again. And the truth is very few of his coworkers, um, are a single income family. Most of them are double and most of them don't have four kids. So I'm like, Jason, we're a single income family (laughs) with four kids. Like this is probably not the right idea for us. And he prayed about it, prayed that my, my heart would be softened towards the idea because I was really not for it. And sure enough, my heart started to soften towards the idea. (laughs) And so I looked into him, it with him. Now, for everybody listening, you have to understand that the region we live in is a very profitable um, real Mm -hmm. estate market. And this is not the case, especially, and I know a lot of areas in the United States, I follow a lot of the real estate in the United States. It's very different than it is here. We are commuting distance to Toronto houses last, not even, they don't even go on the market before they're sold for, you know, a massive amount over asking price. So it's not as risky here. Okay. So I want to be really Mm -hmm. clear about that. So our truly our worst case scenario is that we sell it two months from then and have already made a profit. But it's still the idea of having to be a landlord. That's still risky, right? People have squatters mm-hmm. rights. It's You have to learn all about the Landlord-Tenant Act. Like there's a whole other business side there. Um, but if you're willing to do all of that, it's a great thing to do. So we renegotiated our mortgage on our current house. We took that equity and we used that as down payment on two further properties. Our rent doesn't actually even cover what we're paying on these properties. So I want to be really clear on that too. We, this is not like we're just rolling in the dough. We actually have given <laughs> our, uh, both properties, our tenants are wonderful in both properties. They're paying quite a bit less than what we are actually paying to own the properties. This is a mm-hmm. long-term investment. This is our retirement plan, you know, at any time, or if there is an emergency, we can sell one. Um, but we knew going into this, that this wasn't about making money at the moment. And so that's something you have to consider too. So we are people who were barely scraping by the money to pay for our ghetto townhouse, not even eight years ago. And at this point now we own three houses. Well, the bank owns three houses. Let's be real. It's yeah. they're still mortgaged. Um, <laughs> You're working on it. <laughs> right. We're working on it, but we have this. And so between that and my husband, again, in policing is very lucky to have a job that still has a pension. A lot of jobs don't have a pension. And so Mm -hmm. we are able to have our rental properties as our future investment and his pension. And so these things combined with a steady paycheck and a job that will always be there. I think that's really important to consider when your children are considering Mm -hmm. jobs, especially when you look at the COVID crisis right now, but it's, it's been profitable for us. We are surrounded by great coworkers who have been a great influence on our family. And we have been able to build towards our future because of his job and, and the pension. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting to me. And I, I feel like we're actually in a completely different stage of life in a lot of ways, but even financially, it's given me a lot of food for thought (laughs) Mm -hmm. moving forward, like what we can do and how to even plan for retirement. I feel like, um, so we actually, we're in more of like a day-to-day situation right now (laughs) with our budgeting and money management. And it all begins here's where we can play that music (laughs) about a year ago now (laughs) I love it (laughs) 
follow me. So <laughs> where I left off on our story, we had gotten married. And I was freaking out about chair coverings and how much chair coverings are costing. (laughs) Anyhow, we got over that and we got married and it was wonderful. Um, Fast forward, we had four babies. And then last year I discovered Dave Ramsey through Mm. several mentions on a podcast. I don't even remember what podcast it was, but uh, it inspired me to look into his podcast one day and I was blown away for a lot of reasons, but First, I think what struck me most and what was missing from, say, like my usual um, till debt do us part plan (laughs) was the camaraderie that I found through this whole like financial peace university. We haven't taken the course, but I follow all the tags on Instagram. So I feel like I'm part of the course. Um, You know, this podcast and this philosophy really showed me simultaneously with every episode that, you know, first there were other people who did not like being in debt Mm. um two that there were people out there who actually did beat the system and who were now living debt free Mm -hmm. which blew my mind and number three with that there was that there was this plan that has worked for a lot of people and so I actually wanted to buy his book so bad but with my (laughs) new renewed sense of frugality I couldn't bring myself to do it I'm sure you're not the only one, right? Everybody has it in their cart and then they start listening like, I can't do it right now, Dave. I can't. I'll just have to listen to the podcast. Well, yeah. I was like, I'd love to follow your plan. I can't afford the plan. (laughs) (laughs) So I put it on hold at our library and I was 36th in line. Oh, whoa. No, I was... 36 oh in my line. Gosh. Okay. <laughs> that were how many holds that were on it, but I was okay. I was just gonna wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents ended up just buying it for me for an early birthday present. Oh. They're like, oh my gosh, please just <laughs> read the book. <laughs> Stop telling us about this podcast. Um, and it was honestly one of the best gifts I've ever gotten. I devoured the book and then I made Phil read it, and he's not necessarily a huge reader, so that was big. And together we binge list binge listened to Dave Ramsey's podcast we were on fire with this new dedication to eradicate our consumer debt once and for all Mm. and I would say that this was the first time in our marriage that we were both equally passionate at the same time about this task yeah (laughs) yeah it was hugely unifying and I still look back on last summer as a really amazing time of feeling connected to my mm. husband. Aww. Like even when this task felt uh, even more than insurmountable. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, that's what we're working with right now is Dave Ramsey's baby steps program. Um, we're currently on step number two. For those of you who are familiar with this, um, that's paying off all your debt except for your house. Mm. Uh, and, I think that's the step that takes the longest for most people. And I'm okay with that. I've accepted that. Uh, Also hilarious to note, if you've been following me on Instagram for any length of time, you'll know that last year we also bought a trailer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That happened exactly like one month before (laughs) I discovered Dave Ramsey. Oh, no. (laughs) And I know. I I know. Okay. I know. Um. (laughs) And I told Phil, we are never allowed to call in to his radio show because I know exactly what he's going to say to me. And I know it's fine. (laughs) So, so yeah, like right now, we're still primarily focused on getting rid of the debt Mm -hmm. as soon as possible. Um, Because part of our why, and we'll probably get into this whenever we, uh, you know, when we speak about the spiritual aspect of finances. But Mm -hmm. for me... um, 
I need to be out of debt because I really dislike being beholden to anybody apart from God. I don't like the feeling that the bank has something over me um, and that I don't have a plan should that ever be called in. So that makes me very uncomfortable. Um, And then also, too, that I don't... um, I would like to give more generously, but because of obligations to my debt, I I can't. And that bothers me too on a conscience level. Can I just say, I think it's fascinating yeah. that you mentioned feeling that way from a very young age, that idea yeah. of debt. And I think that's so fascinating because I, I, I know other people like that who were savers, right? Right from when they were little mm. or, yeah, and didn't like owing anybody anything. I was never that person. <laughs> never. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't even enter my mind to not be okay with the massive amount of it. I mean, I'm saying obviously we had the guilt and all that stuff, but not in that same um, way. Now, now we feel it. As soon as we put anything on a credit card, we, we rush to pay it off. But I love that you had that feeling even from a very young age that that's been consistent for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. Like it, through everything and like honestly through debt mm-hmm. and periods of no debt, it it's kind of stayed the same because I you know, we do have debt um, and debt that I would love to be rid of as soon as possible. So even the dislike of having debt has not saved me from debt is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) And I think that that's a reality that I'm coming to terms with. And so for me and for us as a a family, really what we're focusing on right now, there's a, a good quote, and I don't know if it is Dave Ramsey or if it's just a meme that I've seen around but basically, like, like how you handle $1,000 is how you would handle $10,000. Mm. Like, it's not the amount of money. It's however you look at money, um, no matter the amount you have, that's going to be um, your make or break, right? That's and interesting. That's so true. Isn't that so? Yes. Yeah. And so I was like, well, then I need to do work on that while we're paying off debt. Otherwise, it's just going to keep coming back. Yeah. And it'll be all for naught. Yeah. And we're making big sacrifices right now trying to pay it off. And I don't want these sacrifices to be a waste of time. Hey, wait a second. Go uh, back to that. Yeah. Because I think, again, mm-hmm. and we've said this a few times throughout our stories, but you have to make sacrifices, Michelle, to be a yes. single income family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big sacrifices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sacrifices like uh, like what we've mentioned before in our daily life. I'm kind of like you. Um I've never really been interested in clothes shopping, never felt that wanderlust yeah. uh, travel bug or anything. So that's been a blessing when it comes to this. Sacrifices maybe to the extent of like we've had to take out some really hard earned savings. Mm. Right. It takes me a while. It took me a while to reconcile that you're incurring more debt in interest yeah. than you are saving in interest. Yes. And so it's it's better to take all of my squirreled away little pennies that I cherished so much and throw it into a debt it scares me to think that I would give that up for a debt to be racked back up again and so that's really motivating for me um yeah little things like that and I'm happy to make I'm happy to make them because that's the that's a really important part too I've made my peace and I think everyone needs to make peace how they they need to do that. So otherwise it won't stick. (music) 
Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So, Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? I'm so excited to share that I have unrestricted access to all of the seasons of Family Ties. (laughs) (laughs) Oh Oh my my gosh, that is a great show. Yep, well, Mm. I started out this episode talking about the 1980s, so let's talk about this show that was on from 1982 to 1989 so you get like the perfect you know whole almost the entire decade there of the 1980s so mm. I learned that the original premise of the show centered around the parents it was supposed to be about how the hippie hearted liberal parents were navigating parenting in the ever-changing mm. 80s but early on they realized that the kids that you know the teenage kids um, had a large draw in the show and that their characters mm. were great so it kind of shifted more towards um, how they were parenting these kids and how the kids were growing up but what I love about it and, and this is what watching it now as a nearly a 40 year old versus when I was a kid is I love how they're balancing the left and right viewpoints politically and and just really right and so the parents are complete traditional liberals right and obviously alex is their son alex keaton is a traditional (laughs) republican right wing and what i love is this divide has almost never been greater than it is right now Mm -hmm. and especially in the united states but here in canada as well but what this show shows and demonstrates is something i alluded to earlier in this financial episode is that this family was able to talk about each of the situations and it shows and demonstrates for us how to have those conversations that come from two totally different sides, but how to support each other as a family, how to share those opinions, talk things out and still love each other. And so I get that it's a sitcom and they can wrap things up in a half hour, but this show really Mm. does a great job demonstrating the left and the right and how to come together in the middle. I'm absolutely loving it. It's funny. I love the set decor. I love all of it in its eighties gloriousness. It's a great <laughs> show. So it's available on CBS. The TV channel has a new streaming service called CBS all access. And the first mm-hmm. month is free. The months after are five 99 and yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, and you can watch all the family ties. That's so interesting. There's so many shows like that that I'd love to revisit as a parent now mm-hmm. because I watched it as a kid. And mm-hmm. I, I'm so curious to see how I relate to the show differently. You um, totally yeah. do. Like watching yes. it with mom eyes, it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a really, and I mean, I'm only, we're only the first season in. I'm, there's a lot to watch, but just, yeah, I think you would really, really like it. So I highly recommend it. Okay. Will do. So what are you loving this week? Okay, well, um, not joining you on the everyone can just love each other on both sides wagon. <laughs> I'm listening to a podcast serial called The Cold War, What We Saw. <laughs> a different take on the 80s, if you will. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I am in progress. I haven't finished the serial, but from what I've listened to so far... I'm fascinated because I actually had no idea about much about the Cold War and its beginnings and its ripple effects um, and how it's influenced so many other world events and Mm. conflicts, right? Continuing to this um, day, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Well, as I said, like I'm only on episode seven, but they already have 13 released and they're still going. Mm. (laughs) And we're already up to... um, 19 I think the 60s JFK mm-hmm. right so I mean like it's so interesting I had no idea the um like what Sm- Sputnik was yep yep 
really? Now I know all about Sputnik <laughs> and how that was not a great thing. So <laughs> always learning as, you know, doing laundry, washing dishes, learning about the Cold War. Excellent. So, um, yeah, it's really highly produced. Uh, it's very pleasant to listen to. I find it easy to comprehend. The host's voice is probably one of my favorite narrator voices on a podcast to date. Oh, I love that. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for a little bit of history these days, um, I'd really recommend tuning into this one. It's really well done. And again, it's called The Cold War, What We Saw. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.